Hello there, welcome back to Christianity 101. We're into lesson number nine, and we entitled this The Gifts of the Spirit, also known as The Manifestations of the Spirit. This is an exciting lesson. This is what makes us charismatics charismatic. This is what makes us spirit-filled people spirit-filled. The, the one doctrinal distinguisher between us and mainline denominations is this lesson here. This belief in the gifts of the Spirit. And not just the belief in the gifts of the Spirit, because more and more denominational folks are beginning to believe in the gifts. We actually still practice them. We see the manifestation of them. We give permission. We give liberty for them to flow and operate. And they certainly ebb and flow. We probably operate in at least one or two gifts every service. Now, it's not always marked or advertised. But just as soon as the Holy Spirit is in a service... And just as soon as he is given permission to do his thing, he's going to be manifesting through one of what we call the gifts or manifestations. So let's read the famous passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. And then we'll begin to discuss this exciting doctrine and concept that so many people in the body of Christ enjoy and so many others are fearful of. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but the manifestation of the Spirit, and that's critical and that's why I've underlined manifestation. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. It says it's given to everybody to profit as many people as possible. Notice that the manifestation of the Spirit is profitable. We are not of those who believe the gifts of the Spirit have been done away with. That is a doctrine called cessationism. You have cessationists and continuists. We believe the gifts continue. Why? Because there's no scripture that says they will ever stop until that which is perfect has come. The theological argument that says the gifts have been done away with is they say the gifts ceased in 70 AD when uh, Titus, the Roman military general, destroyed Jerusalem. Well, there's no verse that says in 70 AD the gifts would cease. Others say the gifts died out like part of God dies when the last apostle died out. Well, that's assuming that we don't have any more apostles today. But early church history recorded through the first three and four centuries after the last apostolic gifting or apostle of the New Testament died out, even into the third century and fourth century, we still have gifts of the Spirit manifesting as very well documented. These are all lame straw man arguments for why churches don't see the moving of the third person of the Godhead, that is the Holy Spirit. And I often say the Holy Spirit is more than just a stained glass dove. He's actually God and he wants to be in our church. And when he's in our church, he's going to show up and manifest. And this passage, these nine gifts, they show us the nine ways in which the third person of the Godhead shows up and shows out. We'll continue reading. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh at one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. A lot of things in those four verses, five verses, I've underlined each of the nine manifestations so that we can see them stand out more clearly to us. But we want to make the distinction in this lesson, and then we have a curriculum that we've written on the gifts of the Spirit, specifically just for the gifts of the Spirit. So we make that, this distinction heavily there. I want to make a distinction between the, what, what is commonly called the gifts of the Spirit, that's kind of Christianese, that's a Christian lingo term, and what the Bible actually calls the manifestation of the Spirit. And we have to understand this because we're not just parsing or arguing semantics here. If we can see what the Bible calls the manifestation of the Spirit, we can better understand how it's manifesting. All right? What are commonly called the gifts of the Spirit can more accurately or more biblically be referred to as the manifestations of the Spirit. We, in Christian terms, we, in 21st century Pentecostalism, and really for the last 100 years or so, we've called the 1 Corinthians 12 manifestations of the Spirit, these nine demonstrations of God's power, 
We've commonly called them the gifts of the Spirit. And honestly, we probably always will. But it, that's a little bit misleading. And I still use the term gifts of the Spirit. We even pray, Lord, we thank you for all nine gifts of the Spirit. But I, I can say that with an understanding of what the doctrine behind it is. Now, here's why I'm making a big distinction. Let's look at this. The Greek word for gift is charisma or grace deposit. And let me show you something here. It's not in your curriculum, but that doesn't mean we can't turn to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now that's in the King James. The word gifts in the King James is in italics, which tells us that the word gifts is not in the original Greek Bible. The word was added as kind of an explanation or an exposition of the original Greek. So if we left the word out, because it's not in the Greek, we would read it this way. Now concerning spiritual, I would not have you ignorant. Or the actual Greek interpretation would more accurately be rendered, now concerning spiritual things, I would not have you ignorant. Now if we read spiritual gifts, then we think that these nine gifts are the only thing Paul's referring to in this chapter. But he says now concerning spiritual things or things of the spirit. And you see that in verse 4, we have diversities of gifts, the same spirit. We have differences of administrations. That's a spiritual thing. And we have diversities of operations. That's a spiritual thing. So in this chapter, we actually have a kind of a miniature outline here. The overall theme of the chapter is spiritual things. Then Paul goes on to diverse or diversify the spiritual things into three topics, gifts, administrations, operations, and then the seventh, verse seven, and manifestations. So I'm sorry, four things. Giftings, administrations, operations, manifestations. Four things Paul concerns or considers part of or concerning the spiritual aspects of the church. So verse seven says, but the manifestation of the spirit. Verse four says, there's a lot of different gifts. Verse five says there's a lot of different administrations. Verse six says there's a lot of operations. Verse seven says, but the manifestation is given to every man. You see, there's four themes there. There's four divisions of spiritual things that Paul covers in the next few chapters. So the beginning of chapter 12, it's kind of like an outline. It's like the, the preacher saying, this is what we're gonna talk about. And then he goes on to talk about it. Then he concludes by saying, well, this is what we talked about. It's neat how God gives an outline. So gifts are mentioned, but it's not the subject of verses 8, 9, and 10. That is what Paul calls, by the Spirit of God, the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, why do we make a distinction? The Greek word for gift is charisma, which again is why we're called charismatics. Charisma. And even that is a misnomer because of the Greek. It's a grace deposit. The gifts of the Spirit are not grace deposits, but are rather manifestations. Now, when, again, when I say gifts of the Spirit here, I am referring to these nine demonstrations of the Spirit of God. These are not grace deposits. Now, I, we cover this more. In Romans chapter 12, you have what Paul calls gifts, grace gifts from God. Now, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, so he's not confused and he's not muddling his own doctrine, he's talking about separate things. He says, now the manifestation of the gift or the grace, um, diversities of gifts, let me read it so I don't butcher it. Sometimes I feel like a Holy Ghost meat shop and I just butcher things. Having then, Romans 12, 6 says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So now we're talking about gifts differing uh, each one of us individually. And he goes on to list seven grace gifts of the Father. There's a limited list in Romans 12, 6 through 8. The, the prophecy preaching, the ministry serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, hospitality, and mercy. That is the Greek word charisma or a grace deposit. So some people in the body, not everybody, some people in the body, they excel at preaching. Some people, they excel at serving. Some people excel at teaching. Some people excel at exhortation. Some people excel at leadership. Some people excel at hospitality or mercy. These are grace deposits given to members in the body of Christ. These are gifts. 
Grace deposits. The word charisma means a grace deposit. So if I'm given over to hospitality and mercy, if that's my gift, I can turn that thing on or off. That's the distinction I want to make. When it's a biblical gifting, I can turn it on or off. For me personally, one of my graces is I'm a teacher. I can teach anything. There, There really isn't a subject. You can't toss me a pamphlet or a book. Give me 30 minutes with it, and I could teach for two or three hours on what I just read in 30 minutes and break it down in a way that anybody could understand it. It's just a gift. It's not me. It's something God has given me. I was able to do that in all of my teaching careers, whether I was teaching coworkers, whether it was I was teaching labs at the university. I've always been able to teach. It's a gifting. I can turn it on. I can turn it off. It's a gift of God, a grace deposit. Some people excel at exhortation. Uh, If I give them the microphone and say, I want you to teach for 30 minutes, they won't be able to. They'll exhort because that's their gifting. Some people are given over to hospitality. They just love to open their home. They love to cook. They love to clean for people. They, They love to take care of folks. It's their gifting. They can turn it on. They can turn it off. Many times people with their, with grace gifts, which all of us have some, we end up, if we'll use them, We'll, we'll promote our own natural career with it. I, I recognized when I taught labs at the university in geology that I could easily become a school teacher or professor because I had a knack to get anybody interested in whatever I was teaching. And it wasn't because I could be funny or witty. I just had this natural thing on me that drew people into something as boring as environmental geology or introductory in, introduction to geology. Uh, I remember when I was 19, I taught a Sunday school class at a Baptist church. And two years later, it was a teenage Sunday school class. It wasn't an adult Sunday school class. Two years later or so, there was a young man that was in that Sunday school class. And he had to do a little paper for school and write a letter to somebody that had influenced their life or somebody they wanted to be like. So he found me and gave me this little letter. And something he said in the letter stuck out at me because I had recognized it too. And I'm not saying any of this to boast because it's simply a gift on my life, but you have different giftings too that I don't have. But my point is, this thing was on me as a 19-year-old. He said, one of the things he said was, he said, there's something about you when you talk and teach, people want to listen. You have the ability to draw people into what you're saying. That's me as a 19-year-old without any training whatsoever. That's a gift. It's a grace gift. And I could turn it on, I could turn it off. I could turn it on, I could turn it off. That is different than the manifestation of the Spirit. When it's a grace gift, I'm manifesting it. I'm turning it on or off. With the manifestation of the Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit manifesting. And He is turning it on or off. So let's look at this next paragraph. These nine gifts of the Spirit, as defined by the word manifestation are actions or manifestations or exhibitions of the Spirit of God. These manifestations of the Spirit are the Holy Spirit manifesting as He wills. We cannot turn the manifestations of the Spirit on or off as we will or desire. The grace gifts are things we can manifest as we will or as we want to. So that's the real distinguisher that I want to make If we say, and don't understand why we say it, but if we say the gifts of the Spirit, we might fall into this this ignorance that we can turn them on or off as we want to. And a lot of people believe that. People will say, I'm looking for someone that has the gifts of healing so they can lay hands on me. Well, that's not how the gifts of healing work. They don't work. You can't just turn it on. It's not a parlor trick. It's not like a little magician slide a hand trick, make your thumb disappear anytime you want to or pull a rabbit out of your hat. It's not how this thing works. And we have to understand that. The manifestations of the Spirit manifest as He wills. And if He doesn't want to, there's nothing we can do to drum it up. I, with my greatest gift, which is teaching, I can turn that thing on or off. I could use it for secular, selfish gain if I wanted to. I'd be judged for it, but I could. I could become a school teacher. Uh, Even in my first 10 or so years out of college, I would be invited to schools or camps or lots of different places to give talks on geology. And I'd I'd 
put together a little slideshow and I could go there and with the same gifting of God, the grace, turn on the grace gift and be a teacher and teach a middle school or a high school or a group of adults or even a Sunday school classroom about minerals or rocks or the geology of this or environmental geology or whatever it was. But I cannot, even as a pastor, I cannot drum up the manifestations of the Spirit. And that is critical to understanding. Just because I might be used, and I'm saying this hypothetically, just because I might be used in the gifts of healing doesn't mean the gifts of healing are always present and working. We have to wait upon the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, the prophets who operated in the gift of the Spirit, there's me using the term, the manifestation of the Spirit called discerning of spirits or word of knowledge or word of wisdom, those are the main gifts that the prophets operate in. Even the prophets could not turn those things on or off as they wanted to. They would often say, sing, worship the Lord, or go fetch me the linen ephod, or bring a sacrifice. They'd have to begin to worship the Lord either with an instrument, through praise and worship, through a sacrifice, or through the priest's linen ephod. They'd have to do something that would begin to stir up the presence of God and begin to bring his presence into their midst. And once the Spirit of God was there, then the Spirit would manifest and the prophet would be able to see where the lost donkeys were or would be able to see how to fight this battle or begin to see what to do about a sick person. They couldn't just turn it on or off. They couldn't just conjure it up like the witches do. The conjuring. You can't just conjure up a demon, excuse me, the Holy Spirit. You can conjure up a demon. You can't just conjure up a gift of the Spirit. These nine can be thought of as Holy Spirit exhibitions. These nine manifestations. Now again, I'm going to use gifts of the Spirit because it's how we understand it. But I want you to understand why we want to emphasize manifestations. The best translation for the word manifestation from the original language is exhibition. Now, when I, when I hear the word exhibition, the first time I ever heard the word exhibition, I was invited to go to a karate exhibition with a friend of mine to Kentucky. And this was years and years and years and years ago. And so at this karate expo exhibition, you didn't just have competitions where people would fight. They would show off what they could do. They'd break boards. They'd break cinder blocks. They'd do nunchucks. They'd, they'd do the swords. They'd do the bow staff and flip around and everything all cool and Bruce Lee-like. It was an exhibition. It was a show-off of their power, of their skill, of their katas and their forms and all their stuff. It's an exhibition. So that word means a lot to me when I read that the exhibition of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. These, we, it helps us view this doctrine. These are the ways the Holy Spirit wants to show off. And according to the Holy Scriptures, there's only nine ways the Holy Spirit shows off. And I've studied this. I've looked at that several different ways. I can't find any other way to say it. There's only nine ways the Holy Spirit shows off. And if you think you've got a new way that you think the Holy Spirit has manifested, exhibited his power or shown off, I guarantee you we can fit it into one of these nine categories. And the Holy Spirit is wanting to show off or exhibit his abilities in our life. And these are nine ways in which he will do it. Each gift is separate and distinct. They don't overlap. They are separate and distinct. In that regard, they're compartmentalized. Now, sometimes as Pentecostals and Charismatics, we kind of blur the lines and we kind of misappropriate terms. And I'm not really a stickler for any of that. We just want God to show up. But since we're doing a Bible study and this is Christianity 101 and we are parsing, we are making a distinction between these terms and we're splitting hairs, we're going to for the sake of this meeting. And we'll explain a little bit more of that as we go on. Each gift, and there's me again using the old terminology, each manifestation is separate and distinct. Each gift is manifested as God wills, not as we will. And so if you go to our church, you might often hear me say, I, I want us to believe God for a move of the Holy Ghost tonight. Not as that, not like he doesn't move every service, but what I'm meaning is we want to really press into the presence of God. We want to worship the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to come in in a deeper fashion and wait upon him and see what he has to say. 
That's us giving an opportunity for the Spirit of God to manifest and show up. They're manifested as he wills, not as we will. We want him to show up. He wants to show up. We don't always know how he's going to show up. All we can do is yield to his manifestations and be the vessel that he can operate through and demonstrate these powers. So really the doctrine of the gifts of the Spirit is all about us yielding to him, coveting earnestly the best gift, and allowing him to do what he wants to. In the end, remember, he's the master and we're the servant. We take a little bit of a step up. We become co-laborers together with him. Uh, I like Dr. Har Howard Carter, who really gave us all of our understanding in these modern times on the gifts of the Spirit. He said of the verse, covet earnestly the best gifts. He said, what is the best gifts? He said, it's the gift you need right now. And who makes that distinction? God. <laughs> you may think you need a word of knowledge. The Lord may say you need a healing. You may think you need a discerning of spirit. The Lord may say you need a tongue and interpretation. Covet earnestly the best gifts. That's whatever gift you need right now. So let's look at these. There's nine of them, nine manifestations, nine separate and distinct ways in which the Holy Spirit shows up and shows off. He's always present, just like you are at every service, but just because you're present doesn't mean you stand up and demonstrate. And that's okay. The Holy Spirit is always present, but he'll stand up at times, in a sense, and demonstrate, manifest. So let's look at this. Word of wisdom will go in the order of the scriptures. The word of wisdom is a supernatural revelation of the mind and purpose of God. This can be a divine insight into future events, as the purposes of God are generally generally regarded in the future tense and can thusly re be regarded as synonymous with prediction. Now think about that there. A supernatural revelation of the mind and purpose of God. Word of wisdom. We might also make a point, this has nothing to do with wisdom. If this was about wisdom, you could just be very educated and old and be wise, but you could be a pagan. This is a word of wisdom. The word of wisdom replies to the, uh, uh, applies to the fact that it's the mind and purpose of God. It's just a word. It doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't mean the Lord is showing you and predicting everything he's going to do. But it's a supernatural revelation of the mind and purpose of God. It's a divine insight into future events. Anything God's going to do is going to be based according to his wisdom. As uh, in the future events, as the purposes of God are generally regarded in future tense and is thusly regarded as synonymous with prediction. We could also say it, it's what God purposes to do in the affairs of man. Many times when we see the word of wisdom in operation, we will generically call it prophecy. Because the minister or the, the, the channel, the vessel, uh, whoever the Lord is speaking through will say, I, thus says the Lord, I see a day coming, and thus and thus and thus and so. They're receiving a word of wisdom, and they're declaring it, what is in the mind and purpose and intention of God for that person or that congregation or maybe that city. We say, boy, wasn't that prophecy good? It, it was good, but it was technically a word of wisdom. Under the Old Testament, the word of the Lord, which is an expression the King James uses when God would speak to the prophets, when it was declared, it was called prophecy. But in the New Testament, prophecy is broken down into word of knowledge and word of wisdom. The difference between word of knowledge and word of wisdom, well, and then the simple gift of prophecy, I guess is broken down into three things. Word of knowledge is past tense. Word of wisdom is future tense. And prophecy, what the New Testament calls prophecy, is exhortation, edification, comfort. So three flavors there. Word of wisdom, which we've just covered. Word of knowledge, which we're about to cover. And then prophecy, which some people call the simple gift of prophecy. Before the New Testament and the gifts of the Spirit, all three of those were wrapped into one and it was just called prophecy. So the prophets would prophesy, but part of the prophecy would be future tense. Part of the prophecy would be past tense. Part of the prophecy would be exhortation. Now Paul comes along and as with anything that advances, you be able, you're able to split it and divide it into new categories or subcategories. We understand this. We see this in science. Science goes along and we're able to divide things into subheadings and subdivisions, species and subspecies, kingdom, phylum, 
class, order, family, genus, species, subspecies. That's, that's the, uh, uh, the order of um, biology or all creation. Animal kingdom, plant kingdom. Kingdom class, uh, kingdom class, phylum, order, family, genus, species. Yeah, that's how it breaks down. We've got a lot of verses here as far as demonstrations of a word of wisdom. A lot of Psalms are the words of wisdom. The Messianic prophecies are words of wisdom about what's going to come to pass. That brings us to word of knowledge. Actually, let me give you an example. That, we've got time. Let me give you a good example. Acts 21 of a word of wisdom. Acts 21. Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. I learned that in biology in 1992 and I've never forgotten that. Acts 21. And in subspecies. Back in the day, it was just plants and animals, and now we have everything divided down. 10, and 10 through 12. Here's a word of wisdom. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from uh, Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. He's about to prophesy. That's how we'd say it generically. And when he was coming unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. That's, that's future tense. It's a prediction of what's going to come to pass. It's, it's in the knowledge of God. It may not necessarily be the purpose of God, but it's in the mind of God. God can see it. So it's, it is a future tense prediction. It's a foresight, an insight into what's going to happen. And in this case, it's a warning. Sometimes it's a revelation of what God wants to do or what he's going to do. Word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation of a past or present situation, past or present, Con situation, condition, event given to us for a specific purpose. We might look at uh, Acts 14 as an example. I would encourage you to look at all these verses. The big distinguisher between word of wisdom and word of knowledge is future tense versus past tense. Acts 14, 8 through 10. And there sat at a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple whom is, whom is, uh, from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak. Paul, steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now this is present tense. Paul looks on this man and by the word of knowledge knows something. He knows by the Holy Spirit that in this present moment, this man who's impotent has faith to be healed. How did he perceive that? By the word of knowledge. God revealed to him a supernatural tidbit, a word, not a paragraph, not a novel, not encyclopedia, but a word of knowledge by the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul, he said, stand up on your feet and walk. Word of knowledge. It wasn't future tense. It had nothing to do with the man's future. Everything to do with the man's now. The other example is John 4, uh, Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. He said, go call your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, by the word of knowledge, again, past tense or present tense, You've well spoken, for you have had five husbands, that's past tense, and the man you're now living with is not your husband. That's present tense. This is a word of knowledge. The Lord Jesus, as shocking as it may be to our doctrine, the Lord Jesus operated in the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus did everything as completely God and everything as completely man. But Jesus didn't know everything all the time. Remember the woman with the issue of blood, she crept in to, the, to the, the throng and she touched the hem of his garment and Jesus said, who, who touched me? If Jesus is asking a question in that regard, he doesn't know the answer. Who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, you see the multitudes throng of thee and thou askest who touched me? And the Lord said, somebody touched me for I felt virtue leave me. 
that's a gift of the Spirit, the word of knowledge. Jesus Christ operated in it. And this passage tells us that these gifts are given to every man to profit with all. You can expect to be used of God to know something about the future. And you can be expected to be used of God to know something about the present or the past. Now, I want to encourage you and warn you, this doesn't happen every day. And please don't, please don't look at how I or any minister may operate in these gifts in a church service and think that we do this at home or at the supermarket. It doesn't work that way. Of course, in the church, of course, after great praise and worship, we're going to be super amped up, super sensitive to the Spirit of God, and God is going to be present to touch members in the congregation. But that's not my Thursday morning. That's not my Saturday afternoon. In those days, I'm in my Bible and I'm in prayer and I'm operating according to basic Christianity. And if out at the grocery store, the Lord might speak to me and say, minister to that person, that would be a word of knowledge. Pray for that person. That would be a word of knowledge. Just the simple leadings of God like that can be a manifestation of the Spirit. Let's move on to our third one for time's sake. The third one is faith or what the Amplified Bible calls special faith. Because all men have faith. All men have not the faith, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if this is a manifestation of the spirit, it's got to be special faith. This is a supernatural endowment of faith above and beyond the normal measure every Christian has been given, which enables him... Now, again, this is describing the gift. It enables him to sustain an unwavering trust in God for his personal protection or provision. I guess I should go back and retro add a qualifier that most of these definitions come from the late Dr. Howard Carter. And he taught this for decades and proved it through the scriptures over and over and over again. Special faith is a special boost. It's like a nitrous boost. It's like a caffeinated boost of faith that allows the believer to maintain an unwavering faith in God for personal protection or provision. Personal protection or provision. That's special faith. It has also been used biblically to pronounce blessings upon people. Special faith receives a miracle and working of miracles works a miracle. Faith receives, working works. So special faith can receive a miracle, but with the working of miracles, which is another gift, it works a miracle. This gift allows God to work for us. Working of miracles allows God to work through us. So you think about the fishes and the loaves, that's supernatural provision. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being preserved in the fiery furnace, that would be a gift of special faith. Daniel in the lion's den, a gift of special faith. Provision and protection. This may come as something new to you, but even people under the Old Testament operated in seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit on a regular basis. The only two gifts of the Spirit you don't see in the Old Testament was tongues and interpretation of tongues, but Isaiah prophesied about its coming day. But the other seven gifts, you can see glimmers and glimpses and, and, and bursts of these gifts, working of miracles, special faith, prophecy, a simple gift of prophecy, discerning of spirits. You see these operating in and around the Old Testament people. For special faith, the emphasis there is personal protection and provision and also pronouncing blessings. When uh, Abraham, Isaac, really Jacob, Jacob laid hands on the 12 patriarchs, he pronounced a blessing by the gift of special faith. And that, those blessings were coming to pass hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years later. We don't so much pronounce blessings over our children anymore. But then again, most Christians don't know when they're going to die. They don't walk close enough with God to know when they're going to die. The Old Testament shows us the example. Even the New Testament, these people knew when their time was coming. Paul said, I've run my race, I've finished my course, I'm ready to go. They, the patriarchs knew when their day was drawing near. They walked with God. They knew when their homecoming was going, coming near. And they were able to gather all their children together and lay hands on them and bless them. We just really have to admit that Christians today don't walk with Jesus very close. We're not very spiritual. We don't walk with God enough to know when he's going to tell us, this time next year, you're coming home to be with me. We don't do that. We just live our life so precariously and so fast-paced. Uh, people die suddenly and people are, other families left unawares and shocked. It's not the will of God. It's just very common. 
You can look at 1 Kings, Genesis, 1 Samuel, Daniel 3 and 6. Let me look at 1 Kings. Let me see what that story is real quick. 1 Kings chapter 17. There's a lot of examples of working of miracles in the historical books. 1 Kings 17 is all about the woman, the widow of Zarephath. Actually, you talk about first Elijah being cared for at the brook by the ravens. That's, that's the word of a special faith. He had to believe God that the ravens would feed him every day and not eat the food in transit. Then the widow of Zarephath, who has the pots and the oil, the cruise of oil never, never fails. That's provision. That's special faith. Uh, anyway, there's other stories there. Gifts of healing. We need to move on for time's sake. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the realm of sickness and disease with the sole purpose of eliminating the ailment. So gifts of healings are manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the realm of sickness and disease. And the sole purpose is to eliminate the ailment. Now it says gifts, so it's plural. So what experience teaches us is that when somebody is using the gifts of healing, they are typically given an endowment when this gift is in operation that is kind of flavored or prescribed. And what I mean by that is, let us say that I operate in the gifts of healing. I might have a supernatural endowment where I, I've got this thing on me. This is, Spirit of God is the thing. No disrespect to the Spirit of God. That if anybody has migraines, man, when this thing is on me, migraines go just like that. I just, I'm just, this is all hypothetical because that's not exactly how the Lord uses me with the gifts of healings. I, I honestly can't say I recognize any singular flavor on me when it comes to the gifts of healing. For example, though, Pastor Vaughn, our founding pastor, he operated in the gifts of healings on a regular basis and his greatest gifting, as crazy as this may sound to some of you, if you had one leg longer than the other, he could lay hands on you and it would grow out every time. In the 90s, that was so common in our church, it almost became, I don't want to say this disrespectful, it wasn't meant to be disrespectful, it almost became sideshow. It almost became a parlor trick. And it was not meant to be disrespectful, it wasn't disrespectful, but that's just how common it was in that season of our church. And Pastor Vaughn would stop and say, I, I know by the word of knowledge, somebody here, your leg's longer than the other. We got one leg shorter than the other. If that's you, come on up here. I'm going to pray for you. And that might be three people, three visitors. And Pastor Vaughn would bring them up, sit them in a chair so everybody could see that one leg was longer than the other. And he would lay hands on them and everybody watched the leg grow out. In the 90s, that probably happened 50, 60, 70, 80 times, maybe more than that. It, there were times when it was so strong on Pastor Vaughn, he would stand away from them and say, I can't get any closer because if I get closer to them, the anointing of God will heal their leg. And I'm not, I don't want to lay hands on them yet. So I'm going to stay over here and explain what we're going to do. And he would teach us. And then as he would walk towards the person, the leg would grow out. There was one time I saw the short leg grew out and it grew out an inch longer. And he, Pastor Vaughn laughed. We all laughed about it nervously, like, what's God doing? And then the leg came back in and adjusted. Pastor Vaughn operated in the gifts of healing, but it had a flavor. Leg birth defects. Uh, other people, they operate in gifts of healings. Maybe it's cancer. They have an anointing for cancer. Not all the time, but when it's on them, cancers can't exist in their presence under the anointing of God. Healings reveal God's mercy towards mankind. This is separate and distinct from the working of miracles. It does not include any form of medical science. A lot of ignorant denominational folks will say, well, uh, doctors now are the gifts of healing. Now, doctors are a gift and they bring about uh, treatment, but don't disrespect God. Don't tell man he can do God's job for him. I'm all for doctors and I think they are ministers of mercy. We pray for our doctors, our hospitals, and our first responders every week around here. But don't, don't bring God down from above. Gifts of healings are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's not a manifestation of 10 years of medical training. Gifts of healings is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of healings do not include any form of medical science. We might jokingly call that the gift of doctors. And we're thankful for the gift of doctors and the, the gift of medical science but we want to talk about something that only Jesus Christ can be praised for. Amen.
And I guess I might throw out there, if you still hold the doctrine that God may want you sick, then please explain to me how every aspect of your body is designed to heal and its repair and repair itself to some degree. Even your teeth are designed to try to repair themselves. Enamel repairs itself if given the proper chemistry. The dentin underneath your enamel will repair itself if cavities get through enamel and get into the dentin. Even your teeth are designed to repair themselves. If God wants you sick, why do you have an immune system that fights off sickness and disease? It's an ignorant, demon-filled doctrine and you should reject it. And if you don't, don't go to the doctor. Just stay at home and stay sick and die early. Working of miracles. Galatians 3, 5 says, He that worketh miracles among you do as they do it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. So even in the Galatian church, there was working of miracles going on. Working of miracles is a supernatural demonstration of the power of God whereby the laws of nature are altered, suspended, or controlled. The laws of nature, they are altered, suspended, controlled. Jesus walking on the water is a working of miracle. Jesus turning water into, into wine, which by the way, he didn't do to endorse your alcoholism. That's a miracle because the laws of chemistry, the laws of physics, the laws of creation are altered or suspended or controlled. Parting of the Red Sea, a miracle. Uh, recreative miracles that maybe might sound like healings. Healings fix ailments. Miracles restore missing things. So the lepers getting fingertips back and their nose back, that's a miracle. Uh, leprosy being cleansed, that's a healing. Someone who's crippled getting up, that could be a miracle because the bones had never formed. Now the bones are forming. That's, that's an alteration of natural science. Someone with the issue of blood, the one with the issue of blood, that's a healing. And again, we're not going to test you, quiz you, or God's going to be upset with you if you call something a miracle when it's a healing or something a healing when it's a miracle. But we are making the distinction. Thank God it's a miracle. I got healed. It's a miracle. Yeah, praise God. But I want to show you the distinction from the word of God. The get, this gift works the miracle through us. Remember, special faith receives a miracle for us. The working of miracles works a miracle through us. This is different and distinct from gifts of healings. Healings are he healings. Miracles are miracles. If they were the same, why would the Holy Spirit distinguish between the two of them? Pretty fair question. Healings are healings. They're fixing something in the body. A fever being rebuked, that's a healing. Someone being raised from the dead is a miracle. Amen. Because you are altering the laws of creation. Prophecy, this is a divinely inspired utterance that speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. It is the simplest form of inspired utterance. Now again, I said under the old covenant, all utterances under the divine inspiration of God were called prophecy. Under the New Testament, by the Holy Spirit, Paul begins to distinguish between word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and what is now called prophecy or the simple gift of prophecy. We understand that the simple gift of prophecy, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he that prophesies speaketh unto men edification, exhortation, and comfort. Under the Old Testament, it was all called prophecy. So when Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, put your house in order for you are a dead man. That's prophecy, but it is a commandment on top of a word of wisdom. The word of wisdom, future tense is you're a dead man. Hezekiah repents. Isaiah returns. He prophesies again, but says, be of good cheer. The Lord has heard thee. That's past tense, word of knowledge, and given thee 15 years. That's word of wisdom. That's future tense. But he starts off by saying, be of good cheer. That's the simple gift of prophecy. So in Isaiah's retort to Hezekiah after his repentance, you see prophecy as word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and exhortation or encouragement. Hopefully that's not confusing you. Hopefully you can see how the Holy Spirit has expounded to us what divine utterances are. Prophecy in 1 Corinthians 12 is a divinely spoken edification, exhortation, or comfort. It's inspired. It's, it's supernatural preaching or exhortation by the word of God. It is the simplest form of inspired utterance, and you can see that in the Bible. Discerning of spirits is one of my favorites. I, I tend to operate in it a lot right now. 
personally. There were times when I didn't. I don't ask for it. It just is. This is the divine ability to see into the spirit realm. When in operation, the believer will see angels, demon spirits, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and even human spirits. This is not the gift of discernment. There is no such thing as the gift of discernment. We should all be discerning, having our senses trained to discern good from evil, according to Hebrews 5. All visions and dreams would be included in the gift, for they are insights in the spirit realm. Visions, dreams, trances, these are the gifts, the gift of discerning of spirits. I don't trust people who see angels all the time, and I don't trust people who see demons all the time, and I certainly don't trust people who have dreams all the time. I want to know where's the Bible in your life. But we don't diminish or ignore the fact that there is truly the gift of discerning of spirits. Uh, discerning of spirits is very helpful when you're casting demons out, but uh, word of knowledge is also very helpful. Word of knowledge and discerning of spirits work hand in hand quite a bit. Actually, I should say word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits work hand in hand. The whole book of the Revelation is both a discerning of spirit and a giant word of wisdom. Paul, uh, excuse me, John saw it in a vision. That's discerning of spirits. And yet the whole thing is future tense prophecy. That's word of wisdom. Again, I pray that I'm just not confusing you, that you're catching this. That brings us to the last two, the only two that are unique to the New Testament. All previous seven gifts were demonstrated and practiced in the Old Testament on a regular basis. Some of them even by the donkey Balaam. I kind of jokingly say the donkey, Balaam's donkey was the first to ever speak in tongues because he spoke in either Hebrew or Chaldean to Balaam. And he prophesied, he had discerning of spirits because the donkey saw the angel when Balaam, the prophet, couldn't. So we might even have this doctrine that says, don't think you're so special if you're used in the gifts. Even donkeys are used in the gifts. Diverse kinds of tongues. There are tongues of men and tongues of angels. And we need to be very distinguishing on that. Uh, not every tongue is a tongue that can be understood by a world linguist. Some tongues are only angelic in nature. And then the Bible even teaches us about groanings in the spirit, groanings that cannot be uttered, in unintelli unintelligible groanings. That's also part of praying in the spirit. On the day of Pentecost, many men of different nationalities heard uneducated men proclaim the wonders of God in their native tongue. That would be the tongues of men. Yet, in Acts 19, men spoke with tongues and no one is recorded as having understood what was being spoken. That was either the tongues of angels or an earthly tongue that nobody present understood. I've prayed in tongues before in a church service and had a guest or two or three come and tell me they understood what I was saying because they understood the language in their own natural understanding. It's pretty cool. And then there's times where you pray in tongues and you know nobody understands this. This is angelic. It's fun. But with the gift of tongues, there must be an interpretation. Every other gifting has the responsibility attached to it. The gift of tongues requires an interpretation. That brings us to the interpretation of tongues. With the interpretation of tongues, the result would be the equivalent of prophecy. So if I pray in tongues, or give, an interpre or give a tongue as, as a gifting, as a grace, uh, um, a manifestation of the Spirit, and I draw the whole church's attention to me, through the anointing of God, because that's what God is wanting to be done, I must then have an interpretation so that what I said in an unknown tongue can bring about edification, exhortation, and comfort to the whole people. Now, if there be no interpreter, I am to keep quiet in the service and speak to myself and to God. And now when I speak in tongues to myself or to God, I edify myself. But I don't edify people. But I still edify myself, according to 1 Corinthians 14 and Jude. I don't have to understand it to be edified. Paul says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Excuse me. Jude says, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And 1 Corinthians 14 says, any man that speaketh in unknown tongues speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So even when I pray in tongues and nobody around understands me and there's no interpretation, I'm still edifying myself. And I'm still speaking mysteries. But if the anointing of God, because remember, I can't turn this thing on or off. If the anointing of God comes upon me and it turns on the gift of tongues. And I cause the service to slow down and pause to hear the tongue. Then there must be a follow-up interpretation so people can hear what is being said. 
And when I interpret it or whoever's interpreting it gives the English or whatever the native language is, the interpretation, that is the equivalent of as prophecy. Because it's now spoken in a known language. It's going to edify. It's going to exhort. It's going to encourage. Pastor Titus Marefu, our dear friend from Zimbabwe, he's, he always talks about back in 1998, our, our former pastor, Pastor Vaughn, was in Harare, Zimbabwe, preaching at an apostolic faith mission annual conference. And as my understanding, there was 25 or 30,000 people present at this massive crusade. And they said, Pastor Vaughn, who he was a, he would have called himself a hillbilly from Cookville, Tennessee. He says, I speak two languages, three, he said two languages. I speak tongues and hillbilly and I'm working on English. That's what he used to say. He's ministering before 25, maybe 30, 35,000 Zimbabweans. And he begins to give a tongue that requires an interpretation. So he gives this tongue and it's quite lengthy, a couple minutes long. And then they always, they still talk about when we go back to Zimbabwe. Then Pastor Vaughn paused and he gave the interpretation. And the interpretation was just as long, two, three, four, five minutes. That's a pretty long tongue and interpretation. If you consider how long five minutes could be. And when he was all said and done, I guess the people cheered, but Pastor Titus told him in private, he said, I want you to know that when you spoke in tongues, you spoke flawless Shona, which is their language, their, their tribal language. And he said, and when you gave the interpretation, you gave a flawless interpretation of what you said in Shona. And he said, and everybody here knew as a white man, you didn't speak any Shona. And so it was a true sign and wonder to these people that God was present doing something for them. Pretty cool story concerning tongues and interpretation of tongues. Pastor Vaughn prayed in tongues every day, but none of it had interpretation. It only had interpretation when it was for the edification of the people present. So I'm out of time. In fact, I'm way over. Let us desire the best gifts that God might be edified or glorified and we might be edified. Amen. Father, I thank you for this lesson on the gifts of the Spirit, also known as the manifestations of the Spirit. May all those that watch or listen to this in the future be blessed and edified and their relationship with you be strengthened. May we truly desire the best gifts that you would be glorified and we would be profited in Jesus' name. Amen.